Hey, Peter, how's it going? It's good to see you today. And hi, Judy. How's the plant sale? The plant sale is going pretty well. Whoa, what? Did you guys see that thing? Did you, did you see? Did you see it? You saw it. The thing is scared. Eli, you got to get rid of some of these things in this building. Those, these, those things are terrifying. Do you see them? Because otherwise, this building's pretty cool. I was I was checking it out earlier, and I, I felt that room back there. You know that room with the the thing that flushes water down. That's a pretty cool kitchen. I'm gonna make some pancakes in there later. And that thing that makes, flushes the, that thing, right? That's yeah. It's gonna be good. And that room with the that thing that keeps stuff cool. That's the bathroom. I'll have to make sure to stop there on the way out. It's just a good building. There's a lot of good stuff here. <laughs> okay, you guys are like, this is the weirdest beginning of a sermon. And, 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 it's, and it's supposed to be weird. Um, but consider, what if when God looks at the world, he sees scenes that weird all the time? Like where people are afraid of things, that aren't there. Or people call things things that they're not. Or people are convinced that you're supposed to use something for the exact opposite purpose that you're supposed to use it for. And I'm going to make the bold statement that I, I think actually this is what God sees all the time in our world. That we, we, we see things the wrong way. That we, we're afraid of things that we have no reason to be afraid of. Or that we, we, we see something as, as meant to give us value and really it's, or to do something really like nice and good for us and really it's just a toilet, which is really good for us, but for a different reason, obviously. Different purpose, different, it, it fits a different use. That when God looks at us, he sees a world where people all the time are living in like a fantasy where they're calling things the, by the wrong names, they're, they're valuing things the wrong way, we're looking at things upside down. And that that's actually a big part of why we experience so much trouble in this world. Imagine how confusing the rest of the day would have been if, uh, if I would have kept calling everybody by the wrong names. Um, and uh, I'm, I didn't, you know, I had this bright idea recently when I was doing a school chapel that um, I, I wore a blindfold for part of the sermon. And I, on the way there, I was like, you know what, I'm going to do it the whole sermon. You know what I ended up doing? Partways through the sermon, actually, I, apparently I turned and started facing the wall, and I preached the whole sermon facing a wall. So, <laughs> so note to self, maybe I shouldn't do that the whole time. So I'm, I'm, I'm not going to try to call everybody by the wrong name all day today. I think that could get really confusing. And imagine how <laughs> difficult and how ugly it would be if, you know, I was treating the bathroom like the kitchen and the kitchen like a bathroom. It's, it's just, it, life doesn't work well that way. And if it doesn't work well that way in this lighthearted fashion, like, how, how much difficulty do we have in our lives when we see real significant things the wrong way? If we put our value in the wrong things or find our meaning in the wrong places or find our hope, put it in the wrong place. That, that's why we're in such a broken world. We're, we're living in a world where there's a lot of fantasy and a lot of believing stuff that's just not true. Which is why it's such a blessing today for us to study this lesson about the real life how we get to really embrace what's true, embrace what things were designed for, and embrace some beautiful truth and really live in the reality of who God is and how he changes everything. 
Our lesson today, it's the next step in this journey of a, of a sanctification series that we're doing, which is a series, and I know sanctification is one of those like big sounding church words, but reality is it's all really just about living in your faith, living in the reality of what Jesus has done, living in the power of what God gives you, his power that he gives you through his Holy Spirit and the presence of the Son. It's just really all about living your faith. And in this first part of the series, we're really just clarifying what sanctification is. And so just a quick review. We've talked about these two terms that, that, that fit together, and yet they're, they're, they're somewhat distinct. Justification is how you are declared right with God. Through faith in Jesus, you are declared right with him. And that is a complete done process. There's nothing further you need to do. Jesus on the cross said, it is finished, it is done. He's completed it through faith in Christ. You are right with him. Sanctification, though, is an ongoing process where how you're now, the, how the fact that you're now right with God, it's about how that now gives you a new life, how you get to live different, how you get to grow and experience a new, different life based on the reality that you are now right with God. And today our lesson is, is, is talking about sanctification in what we would call the wide sense, which actually starts with justification. It starts with the fact that you are made right with God, and then it flows then into living different and living right with God, living the real life. The lesson we have to help us study this today is John chapter 17, verse 17. It's short and simple, but it's powerful. It says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Now these words are spoken, they're actually they're part of a prayer that Jesus speaks. It's, it's the night he's betrayed, it's the night before he dies on the cross. It actually, it's kind of an in-between point where he gets to the, the, this prayer. Uh, because if you read through John's account, he actually picks up and, and he tells his disciples, let's leave. So they were in that upper room where they did the Last Supper, and, and there's a lot of teaching and discussion there. But then he says, let's, let's leave, let's go. And then there's some teaching and praying that takes place kind of en route to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is where he has that, that big, final, super intense prayer, and then he's ultimately betrayed and handed over into the authorities and so on. This prayer is, is somewhere between that upper room and that garden where he then is handed over. As he, he speaks this prayer, this, this, this prayer is just powerful, and he says some really incredible things about his disciples. And then ultimately, not just his disciples who are there, but because we are also now disciples, we are students of his, it's really about us too. He says things like, I've revealed you. So he's speaking to the Father. I've revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. He says, I gave them the words you gave me. Jesus says, I pray for them. And then here's the one, they are yours, that we are God's. He's given us the Father's words. He prays for us. We belong to God, our Father. It's a beautiful, beautiful prayer Jesus speaks on our behalf. When you get to the verses that come right before our lesson, you, you, you see Jesus articulating and speaking to a, 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 a specific concern or a specific challenge that we all face on a daily basis, whether we recognize it or not. He, he, he says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. There's an evil one. There's an enemy fighting against us. Maybe some days it is very real. Maybe you're real, I mean, real and that you see it. Maybe you experience it. Maybe you can feel that fight. Some days maybe you don't, but it's there. Jesus, though, he says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world. He doesn't want us to just be away from the evil one, but he wants us to be protected. He says, they are not of the world, even as I am not of it. 
And it's, and it's in this section, from this flow of thought, where Jesus is wanting us to be protected from the evil one, that our lesson then flows from this. This lesson about the real life. This lesson where Jesus has sanctified them by the truth. A couple weeks ago, we talked about what this word sanctify means. In the Old Testament, the word sanctify typically was, well, this word means to, be, to make holy. And in the Old Testament, the picture was of being really set apart. Set apart from the everyday. Set apart from that which is unclean or dirty or, 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 or less than perfect. Set apart for something that is for God, that is better, that is good. In the New Testament, the word also has this, this flavor of just being awesome. Like something that is truly worthy of awe. Uh, used the, the, the picture a couple of weeks ago. We had just, my family had been camping at, at Devil's Lake, maybe some of you recall. And, you know, when you, when you climb up some of those, those heights and you look and you're just like, <sighs> like that view, it just kind of gives you that awe. You know, you think of any height or any beautiful view. That's kind of the idea that the Christian life is set apart from that which is, which is less and set apart to be truly awesome. And he says, sanctify them by your truth. When he says to sanctify, when he says to set apart, but notice, remember what the prayer was that that went right before this, that when he's saying sanctify or set apart to be awesome, it's not that he's praying that we're just taken out of this world. He specifically said that. There's a different way that we are set apart, and there's a different way that we are protected. It's not just we'll remove them from the evil one or remove them from the evil world. There's a different means by which we can be, and he wants us to be protected. And that means is the truth. There's an interesting picture of that word. It, it, it literally means not hidden. So you think maybe of like a curtain up on a stage and how that, that curtain is, is drawn across. You can't see what's behind it. Well, the idea here, the picture here is that the truth is, that, is, is, that what, is what's there when the curtain is open. Like what's there when there's nothing hiding it when there's no deception, when, when you actually are seeing what's behind the curtain, this is the truth. It's what is not hidden. When you pull everything back, what is there, this is the truth. Now, if you think about Jesus' prayer here, it makes sense that he would talk about, protect, he's sanctifying us by the truth, by what's not hidden. It really makes sense when you think about, again, where this all flows from. Remember, he was just praying that we would be protected from the evil one. Well, what is the evil one's primary weapon? What does the evil one, what does the enemy do to fight against us? If you look through the, the story of the Bible, you look through God's word, the enemy, time and time again, tries to pull things over the truth and tries to deceive and he, and he typically does it in very crafty ways by like posing different questions and so on. Like for instance, when uh, Jesus is in the wilderness and he's tempted by the evil one, he's tempted by the enemy, by the Satan. And, and the enemy says, if you are, really are the son of God, if you are the son of God, and then he tries to tempt Jesus. There's this, there's this question that tries to like pull something over. Like maybe you're not. Maybe it's not actually true that you're the son of God. And it's like trying to pull a curtain over the reality that he is, in fact, the son of God. This is, this is what he tries to do. You go back to the very beginning when Adam and Eve are in the garden and there's the fruit on the tree and God said, this is a fruit, don't eat of it. You can eat all the other fruit, just not this one. 
And what, is, what does the enemy do? He says, did God really say? It's like pulling a little curtain over, like maybe, you know, maybe he didn't actually say that. Pulling a little curtain over the truth, over what's really, what was really said and what's really there. Pulling a little curtain over the fact that God is good and, and, and right. Just putting some doubt in there, pulling the curtain over it. Or like Jesus says in chapter 8 of John, so earlier in the book that our lesson is from, Jesus talking about the, the, the evil one, he says, He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So the evil one attacks humanity, attacks human life through what? Through lies, through deception. This is how he works. This is his primary weapon. is to deceive people, and this is how he attacks our lives. This is how he attacks humanity and human life in this world. And that's why when Jesus prays, he is praying for us to be sanctified by the truth because he doesn't want us to be caught up in deception, which then leads to death. He wants us to have real, true life. Now, when you think about deception in the world, and you, and you think about, about all the lies that are in the world, it's very quick and very, we can be very quick and be very easy as Christians to, to look at, you know, yeah, can you believe people are so deceived today? And to look at and, and point out examples out there. But always remember, our first starting point is, where have I bought into a lie? Like, where is, is the enemy pulling the curtain in front of me a bit? Where have I sometimes been living in a way that is false, which then is destructive? And as we, we do this exam, what do we use? What do we use to check? How do, we, how do we know? How do we see the difference? Well, Jesus says your word is truth. Your word is what pulls things back. Your word is what, what reveals what's actually there. The word pulls the curtain back so we can see the truth. And this whole section, remember, Jesus has been talking about how he's given us his words. His words are significant. And actually, it's interesting. If you go throughout this whole book of the Gospel of John, I, was, uh, I saw Bob and Betty yesterday at our Celebrator Saturday over at uh, Cottage Grove. And uh, I, I mentioned to you guys that I, I had this light bulb. And I was like, man, now I've got to rewrite the whole sermon. And it wasn't, the, it's not the whole sermon, but I had this big light bulb of all like this, there's these, all these things. And I was rereading the Gospel of John. And all of a sudden it dawned on me, how prominent the two, the two concepts of God's word and the truth. Like, you, you, it's the core issue in John is God's word, how it presents the truth, and then what are you going to do with it? Because, like, throughout John, Jesus is teaching people, and it's like, are you going to accept this as being the word from the Father, or are you going to think it's a lie? Are you going to accept that this is true or not? This is, like, the, the core of John over and over again. God's word, what are you going to do with it? You're confronted with the truth. What are you going to do with it? And then it starts at the very beginning. If you go back to the first few verses of the Gospel of John, there's this really, man, it's this amazing section where it actually uses the term, the word, to describe the eternal Son of God. This is how, how uh, pre-incarnate Christ, so before he becomes human, the Son of God, this is how he's referred to, is the word. And the, the, the term that is used here is, it, it comes, it's the Greek word logos, logos, that uh, it, it, it describes, it's not just like a word that you say out loud, but it's, it's describing 
the expression of one's thoughts. So in other words, the Son of God is the one who expresses what's on the mind and the heart of the Father. So this is how the gospel begins, is that this one, Jesus, that we're pointing to, is the expression of the mind and the heart of the Father. And then the rest of the gospel is him expressing what's on the mind and the heart of the Father, and then we see what people do with it. Are you going to come into the truth, or are you going to keep buying into the lie? Let me, let me just give you a couple more examples. If you go to chapter 3, and perhaps the most well-known verse of the Bible comes from John chapter 3. Recall which one? Verse 16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, uh, only one and only begotten son. This section where he says those words, those well-known words, this is the section where Nicodemus, this great teacher of uh, the Jewish people, comes to Jesus, and, and, and Jesus has this conversation back and forth with him. In the latter part of the chapter, latter part of that conversation, Jesus talks about how light has come into the darkness. And he says, whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what has been done has been done through God. This is, this is the real question. Are you going to step into the light so it can be revealed what's true or are you going to stay in the darkness and continue to believe the lie? This is, this is the real question. Or go ahead to chapter 7. Jesus is teaching in the temple courts and there's some of the religious leaders there who are standing against him. And Jesus said that he's still teaching, so he's speaking the word of God in the temple courts, cried out, yes, you know me, and you know where I'm from. I'm not here my own, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. So I'm teaching you the words of God. What he says is true. You don't know it because you're not accepting the truth. See the, the, the core issue? Or in chapter 8, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The core of it is, is, is God's word revealing, reveals the truth. And when you know the truth, when you hear his word, the truth sets you free. God's word and the truth. Being captive or being free. Living in darkness, living in light. Having death, having life. This, this, is, this is at the core. This is, this is what it's all about. God's word revealing the truth. Believing it and stepping into the light and stepping into life. But i got to tell you, as I, I shared some of these examples, and th there's so many more in there that we could talk about. We're not going to do all of them. But there is one that we talked about that kind of that makes me pause a bit. And it was that one with Nicodemus from chapter 3. When it talks about the truth and it talks about whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. I got to tell you that, that that whole concept of stepping into the light and this picture of, like, of the truth revealing what's behind the curtain is a little bit scary for me at times. Because I know if you were to shine a light on every part of my life or pull back the curtain on my heart, you would find plenty of ways where I haven't been living by the truth or doing what I've been doing through God. You know, like there, I, I realize more and like all these various ways, like I'm becoming more and more painfully aware of all the ways that I have bought into the lies of the world. In all the, the ways that, I, like, I feel, you know, like, just, there's these subtle little lies that come in, like, like, this is what you need to do to be happy. Or, if you're going to be confident about the future, then you need to be in control. Or, this is what you do to find your worth. Just, like, these little lies that just, just creep in. And, and when we shine a light on our lives and on our hearts, and when we use God's word to pull back the veil, it can be kind of challenging sometimes. 
because it reveals ways that we haven't lived by the truth, but have lived as if there's some imaginary monster here or called things by the wrong names or whatever. The, 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 the real life that we've been living sometimes has been that we've been buying into the fake and the phony. But one of the beautiful things about God's word that is so amazing is that it's not just an expression of what's on God's mind and heart. It also accomplishes what's on God's mind and heart. Let me say that again. God's word, it doesn't just express. It's not just like a verbal expression of it, but it's actually what, what accomplishes what's on the mind and heart of God. And you can just see when you go back to the beginning of the Bible. You go back to Genesis chapter 1. How does God create the world? Does he use his hands? Does he use his tools? What does he use? His word. His word makes everything. His word creates the world. His word does stuff. You know, yeah, we might just throw words out there and, and they can have some power, this or that, but God's word creates everything. God's word does things. It accomplishes what's on the mind and heart of the Father. That's why in the Gospel of John, it introduces us by talking about how the word was made flesh. The word of God does the ultimate, accomplishes the ultimate task in the man Jesus. The word of God became flesh, became the man Jesus to accomplish what you and I need the most. You and I, yeah, we bought into the lies sometimes and we've lived in the darkness and there's consequences for that and there's justice for that and, and, and we would be stuck in the darkness if it was up to us because we just keep going back to it. But what he did was become a man so he could live the perfect life we were meant to live but don't. So he could lay down his life and die on a cross so that he could absorb the darkness. So he could experience the suffering and the, the brokenness that comes from living according to a lie. So all that could be put on him. So he could die. So our lives don't have to end in darkness and suffering and death. Those chains, that slavery, that being stuck in darkness all died with him when he died on a cross. And when he rose, he accomplished new life. When he rose, he made it so that you and I now, through faith in him, are declared right with God, justified. We are also now being sanctified as we now get to live by the truth. We get to live as people who are right with God, who know the truth about God, and that changes everything about us. When you read through this prayer that Jesus says here, and I really, I encourage you this week, if you're like, okay, what's going to be my devotional material for this week? I encourage you to read the Gospel of John and take note of all the different times that, he, that, that Jesus talks about his words and his teachings and then truth. Just take note of those things, first of all. But then also, if you get to chapter 17, notice what Jesus is accomplishing. In, in, in verse 17, 26, he says, I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them, that I may, myself may be in them. Jesus has been teaching all this. Jesus is doing all this so that we can know the love of God and we can know the true God personally. Jesus wants us to know the truth that the God who created everything is madly in love with you that he treasures you and he values you, then you are right with him through faith, and that he is for you, not against you, that your life, that you are not here by an accident, but there's a purpose, and it's going somewhere, and it's eternity with him, and while you're here, there's a reason you're here. 
He wants you to know all these things. He wants you to know the true God and how he truly sees you. And notice too, he says that I myself may be in them. Not just he wants, he doesn't want us just to know about him, but to experience him every day in our lives. He is right here with us. The word that doesn't just express the truth of God, but accomplishes it. And if you think about it, man, you know, the more you know the truth about God, it does accomplish change in us. When you realize that that room back there that flushes water is not where you make pancakes, you don't try to make pancakes in the toilet. (laughs) You know, when you realize that the kitchen is a kitchen, you're going to live different. Right? When you see the truth, when you realize that there's not some scary monster here to freak out about, then you don't have to walk around here nervous all the time because something might get you. You don't have to live. It, It changes the way you live. And the more you hear the truth of Jesus, his teachings, the more it transforms how you live. The more you know the teachings of Jesus, the more it transforms how you live. Because God accomplishes, he makes it so that we are sanctified by the truth. And his word is truth. This this is sanctification in the wide sense. That God that the truth is that God sent his son Jesus to not just express the word of God, but to accomplish our justification, setting us right with God. And so now we can also now know the truth of who he is, what he has done, what he promises to us, and what it means for us every day of our lives. We are set apart by the truth, and now we get to live in the truth. We get to live the real life.